It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to this episode of On the Air, a podcast for individuals interested in teaching and learning about the profession of occupational therapy. I'm Stephanie Lancaster, and this is the space for exchanging and informing as we talk about topics and ideas related to the field of OT. Dr. Allison Sullivan is an occupational therapist who is the recipient of the 2017 Catherine Trombley Award for Excellence in Research and Education from the Massachusetts Association of Occupational Therapy. Allison teaches in AIC's Post-Professional Doctor of Occupational Therapy program, as well as the Master's of Science in OT program. Her research interests include pedagogy and occupational therapy education, cognitive disabilities, and trauma-informed care. Dr. Sullivan's study, Impact of a Fieldwork Experience on Attitudes Toward People with Intellectual Disabilities, is published in the 2017 November-December issue of the American Journal of Occupational Therapy. Allison has dedicated her career towards improving the lives of individuals with cognitive disabilities and health conditions that interfere with social participation and quality of life across the lifespan. She is the chair of the MAOT Western Massachusetts Mental Health Special Interest Group, a certified group exercise and yoga instructor, and the co-founder and leader of Oh Talk To Us, a Twitter chat for occupational therapists with tens of millions of views of tweets carrying that hashtag. On this episode of On The Air, Allison discusses her path into the field, her work as an OT practitioner with decades of experience, and the results of a recent study she did involving innovative computer simulation training in screening and brief intervention. Welcome, Allison, to On the Air, and thank you for being here. Will you start off, please, by telling us how you found your way to the profession of occupational therapy? I had a less common path into occupational therapy. I had graduated college at my undergrad Amherst College in 1984 with a degree in fine arts. I was a painting major and I never heard of occupational therapy, but um, I did like exercising and I had um, been, you know, really um, inspired by Jane Fonda. I came from a family of people who had all died from heart disease, none of whom exercised and all had a horrible diet 
and I was in a neighborhood with a lot of people that my parents didn't grow up in where I was uh, raised. So a lot of pe people's parents were physically active and I really um, valued that behavior and decided I would try to adopt it as my own. So I do um, thank my mother for um, being willing to get me my first gym mem membership when I was uh, 17 to Figures and Fitness um, <laughs> in Colony, New York. And I was transformed by it. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a male dancer who taught the exercise class. He was very fabulous. He had leg warmers. And <laughs> I, it was very different from the very vanilla suburban lifestyle I was raised in. And I just thought, this is great. You could be moving around. I love to dance. I was a serious dancer as a child. And, um, and so I started teaching exercise in college. That was my first job in college in 1985. I started teaching exercise. Um, I took a lot of classes and one day the girl who ran the class said, Allison, you come so much. I can't make it next week. Could you do the class for me? And I thought, I, I, I'm kind of, I have a lot of sensory stuff too, so I don't really like people being close to me. So I liked being up in front where I yeah. felt like I could breathe. And so my first job out of college was working at a gym in the Boston area. So I worked at a couple different gyms in the Boston area and started thinking very seriously about um, looking for careers uh, where you would work with the human body, but you know, gym sales and that sort of thing didn't seem very um, practical to me or, or enjoyable. And um, then I got a job at a club um, that was right next to Faulkner Hospital. So it was a women's only gym and um, every day after work, there would be OTs, PTs, nurses, speech therapists, all filing into the gym. And um, one day there was a nurse named Annie Sullivan. And she said to me, Allison, um, have you ever thought about being an occupational therapist with your creative skills and interest in the arts as well as the human body? You would probably like being an OT. And I, that was the first time I ever heard that term. I applied, my husband and I got married in April of 91. And then we moved, I had gotten into Springfield College. They had a new OT program there, a new master's in occupational therapy in 91. I finished in 93, I was licensed in 94. And I started working in the school systems in 94. Well, I think you're right. That is a pretty non-traditional way. You you weren't exactly looking for a career that, not the one that came. It's more like it found you than you found it in a way. It's very, it's, it's amazing to me all the time what a perfect match that the field is with my thinking. You know, I don't, there's no gaps. Yeah, well, I feel the same way. And I think a lot of OTs do it really it's it's interesting, the way it becomes part of our identity, you know, or maybe it already is. And then we just learn what to call it or, you know, where our people are in a way, I guess. But, um, 
So think back to yourself in OT school, Allison. What was your favorite class or subject? My favorite class in OT school was statistics. In Strength Finder, information is one of my strengths. I like large amounts of data and I use data to form my opinions and beliefs. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so that, there comes that was Strength Finder, yeah. right? But I thought I was bad in math. Like I, I had gotten very high grades in school in most subjects without really trying very hard. And then um, I hit math and uh, I didn't, it was harder for me. And that was, that, that in my mind equaled, I'm not good at math. Mm. So, and, and I wasn't very um, quick with calculation. Um, so I started to, you know, I didn't really pursue math classes in college um, and wasn't thinking towards a STEM career for that reason. Mm. And then I took this stats class with this guy, Joe Stano. He single-handedly changed my whole field. I love statistics. It just wow. comes naturally to me, but like I had to work at it because it's statistics, right? You yeah. need to know yeah. what you're supposed to do when there's lots of rules. But I, I just enjoy it. I think about a lot of uh, different types of information statistically. I, I really look at my student evaluations for, from feedback in terms of uh, what kinds of information I get. And, and I think it's, it, um, it's why I wound up a lot in, uh, that on the research side of why that side of OT work appeals to me so much because yeah. I'm always thinking of new ways to measure things. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned strength finders and, and um, I wonder if you might talk a little bit about that for the listeners who are not familiar with that. Okay. Um, Tom Rath's Strengths Finders 2.0 is a very well-researched tool that is um, a, it's, it's a survey type quiz that identifies your top five character strengths. Um, the, the reasoning behind this is that um, Mr. Rath's research had led him to understand that most people in um, um, professional in their work vocational um, settings could easily identify their five um, top weaknesses. People it had no problem, you know, and, and in every professional development uh, meeting somebody goes to, they, they, know they usually are identifying their weaknesses and trying to minimize their weaknesses. Yeah. On the other hand, people were not able to identify their top five strengths. And by not maximizing their strengths, they really miss out on an opportunity to improve their quality of life. And in, in many cases, be, be help, more helpful in society because you have all these talented talents that are being underutilized while you put all your focus on trying to shore up your weaknesses. That's a really good way to explain that. And that, that book is very well researched. And the thing about it I like is it's an easy read. I mean, it's not 
so analytical that it's boring to read or too researchy. It's, I mean, to me, you can just read through it. And the part that I always hope that people aren't skipping over is at the end, it talks about what to do if you are um, like a team member with somebody with certain strengths and weaknesses or yeah. you're their boss, you're your boss. Yeah. 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 And I think that's really important. I mean, and it's, it's maybe it's a book to buy and hold on to because you can, even if you know your strengths and weaknesses, you, you can keep coming back to how you're going to interact or interface with others. So it's honestly, it changed my life because it outlined for me, my top strength was as a strategic thinker and no one had ever giving me feedback like that. So it really um, helped me in my decision. Now, I didn't encounter that till I was in my doctoral program and I didn't start my doctoral program till I was 45. To be 45 and getting feedback from the first, for, for the first time that I was actually, um, had a very high strength in strategic thinking it helped me to make sense of where my life was and what I was doing at that time and confirm a lot of decisions that I had made where I'd gotten very little support initially as being good decisions and helped me to feel um, going forward. For example, um, in agreeing to start a new doctoral program for the college where I work to say, you know, I have strengths that even if I didn't come through the traditional route for developing uh, as an occupational therapy scholar and mm -hmm. educator, I can use strategic thinking, I can use data, I can use my intuition, I can use my passion for learning, and I can uh, use my positivity, which is another thing that was nice to hear. I'm more positive than the average person. I think that's something that helps me a lot in the work settings that yeah. I engage in where some of the information can be quite sad and overwhelming at times. Yeah, I think that's I love really that important information. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will list, put a link to that in the show notes um, when this oh, nice. episode releases so people can easily get Thanks. to it. Um, well, moving on, I w wonder, Allison, if you might talk about your recent study involving computer simulation. I'm, I'm interested in, you know, how that idea came about and what the study is actually looking at. Um, yeah, so um, my teaching responsibilities at American International College um, in the entry level master's program um, is the psychosocial thread in our curriculum, group dynamics, pedi um, pediatric occupations, uh, pe pediatric uh, psychosocial occupations, adult psychosocial occupations, and then um, occupational therapy process mental health. So I teach those four, four classes in the doctoral program. And um, I've been lucky then because I can since I have the students every semester after their um, first semester, their spring semester, I've been able to really look at how they learn, scaffold their learning, and develop new ideas around how to keep um, our, the way we're teaching. It's not just the information we share, right? We all know as teachers, 
it's so much what people learn from what you shared. It doesn't matter if you shared the greatest resources in the world. If you're so boring, no one actually clicks on it to right. see what's in there, right? Yes. You really have to engage people. You have to make learning interesting and fun. And I have found that maybe what, perhaps what I couldn't understand why so many OTs aren't passionate about mental health occupational therapy. Mm -hmm. I know there is a, a small dedicated crew that gives real meaning to that part of our profession. Yes. But historically, it's our roots. And I'm always looking for ways to um, improve confidence and preparation in students with regard to intentionally incorporating concepts from mental health occupational therapy into every practice setting. If we're really going to be client-centered, therapists need to consider clients' mental health, no matter what's going on with that person. And, and I think it sells OT short to say, if you say, oh, I consider the whole person, uh, look at my therapeutic use of self, sorry. We're talking about intervention skills. You are looking at a person and being client-centered. If you're working on them going up and down stairs, but you don't know that they fell down the stairs when they were drunk, you're, no matter how well you teach them to go up and down those stairs, they'll be back because the reason why they fell in the first place wasn't addressed. And that's, that's on you. So important, yes. You know, I sometimes hear people, OTs or OT students say, I don't like mental health. I wouldn't do mental health. And I always have to stop and correct them. And I bet you do too. And say, we all do. You don't have to work in an inpatient, you know, psychiatric hospital or be, have mental health on your job description as an OT to need to address mental health. It's, it's part of our practice. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's, uh, um, it's always something for me to consider, um, yeah. when you would ask people, you know, and the students go on field work and they'll come back and they say, this isn't like how we learned in school. And I say, yeah, I know, but work yeah. on it, yeah. develop better advocacy skills and give people a reason. So. When I was in my doctorate, I first learned about SAMHSA's program, um, Screening Brief Intervention Referral to Treatment, ESPER. So this is a specific um, preventative program offered by the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, SAMHSA. Um, th they do have CPT codes for it, and it's designed to be implemented in um, primary settings. So it is a prevention oriented program designed to identify people who are using substances in a way that increases their risk of negative consequences, but are subclinical. We're not looking to be some sort of a referral, though if that comes up, the program addresses it. But um, SAMHSA had um, looked at 40 different programs for their effectiveness in uh, providing some degree of education and, and um, prevention care to um, 
to citizens. And what they found is that out of the 40 programs they looked at, um, SBIRT was the number one um, approach. I was lucky enough, I was in my doctoral program at Temple University, and I was able to take a few different um, um, elective courses. So one course that I took, since this is my teaching area, is in substance abuse. And it was impressive to me through my time teaching uh, group dynamics in which I do a lab with students and they, um, uh, it, part of that lab, based on the Cole Seven Steps book is, is developing a professional identity. We do the folder activity, which talks about who you are as a person um, and who you are as a professional. Um, and, and in the, my time teaching that starting in 2006, um, the number and percent of students who had lost family members and friends to substance abuse was, was really astounding. And in, and in my own life, that's been an issue too. So I, I feel like OTs have great knowledge and skills to provide mental health intervention and all that's needed is more confidence and uh, preparation to say that we could implement a program. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm here. So I started talking about SBIRT. Um, I, I think I presented it at um, AOTA, the S, some different SBIRT apps at Appy Hour and maybe 2017. 20, it might be 2016, I have to go check. You know, the years start click, click, right? Yes, they do, yes. <laughs> and then um, 2018, I presented again at MAOT and, and also at um, in Salt Lake City um, on the whole expert approach. But also um, I started to see uh, and, and so I was I was frustrated after Salt Lake City because very few people showed up for my session. So I thought, let me back this up. And then um, around that time, I saw that through Twitter, that SAMHSA was hosting a webinar on computer simulation training in Esper. And so I tuned in for that webinar and it was really impressive. A company like Cognito, um, their, their research, their head of research was um, a clinical psychologist from Baruch College in New York and um, had developed 
um, computer sims where students could sit in the role of therapist and have a simulated client and engage in a dialogue in which uh, students would be able to select different answers in each part of the screening, brief intervention, and referral to treatment process. And they would, um, they had two opportunities um, to work with a, a virtual coach at that time. So as you provide responses, the coach says, hey, maybe don't say that. And okay. this is why. And yeah. you can play it out or you could roll it back. So the coach gives you a lot of feedback and tips. And then you do a, um, an independent post-test on your own and see how you, uh, what your competency is. So you you establish a baseline competency and so I thought this is fantastic I had at the time you know I have over uh, 45 students in each cohort and I thought you know I really didn't get this kind of independent feedback on um, my interviewing beyond very minimal feedback as as um, on field work so, you know, for me to be able to talk to my students in an objective way, and then I didn't want to bring my own biases into it. Yeah. What I want to see is, is, so I love the idea of a computer sim being able to capture and measure um, uh, objective data around each part of a process that some people would consider to be only um, organic. Right, yeah. but if you've done any training in motivational interviewing, you know there's a lot of pieces to it. So, so this was um, a way to get into that in, in a more um, precise, measured way. That's fascinating, and I, and I love the piece about the um, support from the coach and a couple opportunities for that. It, it, that kind of reminds me of if you've ever been to an escape room they'll have um, you work with pe other people to find these clues in this enclosed room and and then eventually you find enough clues where you can figure out how to unlock the door the code that is to the door and um, but you have I think three opportunities to ask for help while you're in there if you get stuck and some one of the employees comes in on a camera and will say well, you're almost there, but you know, you need to think about this and then it gives you a, a hint. So it's kind of like that, you know, just it keeps somebody from going down the totally wrong path or getting frozen if they can't think of which direction to go in. Um, and it, it's, it's very fascinating. It's a big hot topic in OT too, but I don't think that there are too many um, mental health um, there's not, there isn't really any data on, on mental health occupational therapy computer simulation training. So yeah. um, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to see if this would improve um, my students' accuracy, their preparation, and their confidence. Have you finished the study or is it still on? Yeah. Oh, no. Oh. Well, um, I finished the first part and then the... People, people from Cognito were very um, impressed with the results, and I had great participation from my students. Um, and so we're, we're, we're actually doing a similar study using different sims with the same students to see if the results 
At this time, I'm going to um, divide the class up into four groups of 11 and, and try two different sims. Now that I know that, that the sims were universally positive experience for my students, and they uh -huh. not only established a baseline accuracy and expert skills, but also their preparation and confidence survey scores were significantly increased. And that, um, um, and then there was a relationship as well that was very strong. Um, students were aware that as their um, preparation improved, they became more confident. And as they became more confident, their skill level increased. So, yeah. Yes, yeah. So it, right. So because that was positive, um, we're looking now at some other stems that have some different applications. And I'm trying to see... If, the, if people prefer to have the training towards the end of the semester when before they leave for field work or at the beginning of the semester, we have a nine-week level one that is a big part of that, that mental health process course. So I'm not sure what, um, so I wanted to compare and see if there is a, um, a more critical phase to the training yeah. that the students perceive as a benefit so I'll know when to offer the training. That's really good. That's um, very interesting. Um, and I, I, know, I know your students appreciate getting to be part of that kind of cutting edge research that's coming out. So, um, you know, simulation is such a big deal in our field um, in OT education, really. Um, where I work, we do a good bit of sim, but we don't do robotic. We do um, um, a little bit of peer-to-peer -peer simulation, but mostly we do it with standardized patients. So actors who are playing mm -hmm. a role, and um, we're we're just you know always trying to develop more simulation experiences because that's one thing in the feedback at the end of their time in OT school that students always say, you know, we want more, we want more. So uh, I think it's just a time that gets them thinking of themselves as real OTs, you know, put that in quotes, that they start feeling like they're... That was, that was, people said that. People yeah. said that about the sim. And then the other thing they said that was... But the other thing, as I, I, I started to get into the research around this, um, uh, uh, students experiment more on a computer. Obviously, even when you have... Um, a, a, an actor who's doing a great job, he's only available or she's only available or they're only available for a certain amount of time. Oh, yeah. You know, so um, you don't, you want to do it right when there's a real person in front of you. What was interesting about the sim is since there was no limit on how many times you went back to the sim in the, uh, in the training period, students really experimented like they 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 went back and they said well i know this is the wrong answer but let's see what happens wow. if you get more information from a sim than you can from any other real life um variation unless you have a person in front of you for an unlimited number of trials yeah yeah well that makes sense and even if you did have a per another person in front of you, I think in front of another person, we're always a little more afraid to make a mistake or say something wrong. Or, And if you're just doing it, you know, it, it sort of gamifies it. 
It does. It really did. Very low stakes or no stakes. You're just playing and seeing what's going to happen. So, yeah, I I could see the benefit to that for sure. Um, Well, another thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, I did not realize that you were um, one of the co-founders of Oh, Talk to Us. And I saw that in your bio and wanted to ask you about that. That's really cool. I have participated in that many times. And I wonder if you might share about that with the listeners. Um, Because I just think that there are a lot of OTs who are not aware of that. Twitter has been um, kind of a fascinating side um, to my career. Um, I had started teaching at... Um, AIC full-time in 2011 and um, my daughter had just come back from a trip to Bath, England. I had been using Facebook. Um, I was an early adopter of Facebook and I had created um, the Our Soda's um, first Facebook page which did surprisingly well. Um, you know, uh, we had a um, the biggest Facebook page at, at the college at the time. So I, um, uh, it was a, a positive way for me to promote OT. I, I was feeling like I was um, just talking, uh, speaking to the choir, and that it, it, I started sharing co- OT-related content on Facebook. So this made me um, curious about other social media and my daughter came back from England and said, you have to make a, um, a Twitter account. Everybody in Europe is on Twitter. Okay. So I started a Twitter account. I think I tweeted twice. I didn't get it. And I went back to um, uh, Facebook, but then I think I came back to Twitter like a year later and I, um, I, I, it just started clicking, and I started um, having a lot of positive interactions. I encountered the OT community on Twitter, um, and it seemed like an ideal way to have a very short walk to interacting with people that I really admired in the field, Karen Jacobs, Sean Phipps, um, <coughs> Uh, the people at AOTA, it was it was really wonderful um, to be able to be from this small college that wasn't um, well known outside of Springfield, um, and and be talking with um, the, the you know through through chats and and just interactions with some of the people at the top of the profession, Ruth Zemke. I'm a big theory. I'm not only just into stats. I love theory too. So uh, I couldn't believe that that Ruth Zemke was on Twitter. Um, and then <laughs> I decided, as part of my professional development, that I would participate in O Talk, which was airing in Great Britain from three to four p.m. my time zone um, weekly. Um, as and so to learn more about social media and I was interested in the different models that are used abroad and understanding more about how a single payer system, um, universal care um, is being, how OT works in those settings outside of the US. Um, so uh, that was a great network. Um, the people who were running OTalk 
at the time were so supportive and uh, wonderful um, group of, of OTs, very inclusive, made, always made me feel welcome. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. I found that I do a pretty good job of sharing resources and information about OT in very few characters. And I thought that would also be useful um, professionally in, in, in speaking in sound bites so people can understand what you're trying to say. And it would help me hone my OT message to those smaller bites. Um, so uh, I just kept doing it. And then um, uh, AOTA invited me to be on a panel in 2013 to talk about using Twitter. Uh, I think at that point, around 2014, I had one of the largest, if not the largest, OT account by any private therapist. Like that wasn't an organization in the world. Yeah. So um, I had a, a, a lot, I don't know, somewhere in the realm of 15,000 followers and um, over a million views of my account a week. So that was very strange as a 50-year-old woman um, <laughs> to be into this whole social media <laughs> frenzy. Um, and um, I didn't know what I was doing, and no one could really advise me. Um, so I had created another account, which is the account I use now, um, in 2013, Ali Sully OT Prof to kind of separate out, well, this is me just having fun and this yeah. is, is my work specifically. But um, I just kind of went back to a mixed account. This is who I am. It, it felt very artificial to kind of try to straddle that divide. Um, but social media has changed a lot and, and, and I'm not a social media like I'm, I'm not on Facebook I'm not on Instagram I'm not into Periscope I don't live stream I don't have a podcast so I, I, I think Twitter was more of an anomaly it came around in my life and it's been useful for a specific purpose but um, yeah I'm gonna leave the social media mavenry to a younger generation <laughs> 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 and to techies like you, I can't believe you have a, a podcast. It's a lot of work. It is. It is. And like you, you know, I'm in my 50s and and had to kind of figure it out from the ground up. You know, it's it's a lot to learn. It's not as maybe natural um, as or the learning process wasn't quite as gradual as it maybe is for some younger people. But um, it's fun and it's a great way to connect and you know, I know you're still pretty active on Twitter, and um, I like seeing your tweets and interacting with you on there. And I'll um, list your Twitter handle so the listeners can follow you as well um, there. So, oh yeah, so I'm, I, I should just follow up by saying after participating in Otalk for Otalk for a year, yeah, I asked the girls, the women from. Um, Otak, if they would mind if I started a U.S. based chat because I liked what they were doing, but that time frame, three to four p.m. Yeah. Um, in the U.S. was not going to get a lot of uh, American um, therapists. So um, at the time, one of the women, Gillian Crossley and um, Susan Burwash, 
um, a Canadian OT, um, myself, and then um, I, I asked Tina Champagne. I was at um, AOTA in 2012 with Tina Champagne, who um, is my mentor, my part, my my partner, my uh, we call ourselves um, the, the the twin. So um, <laughs> she, I, I said, you have to make a Twitter account right on the Expo Center floor, the yeah. 2012 meetup, which was five people. I made her account, and um, and then it's just grown from there. So so the four of us started O Talk to Us in 2012, um, and then. Um, it's continued with um, myself and, and Dr. Champagne um, since then. Uh, we, we haven't been offering it as often as um, in the past um, because as, right, as Twitter has stuck around, there's more and more chats. Um, there's different types of specialty hashtag chats that pull people in and... Um, other forums like like podcasts that people um, are interested in, but um, with the events of, of the the summer, I felt very strongly about um, creating a forum, and and so we we have been um, bringing the chat back at different times. We try and put together a few at once so that people can put it in their calendar. And that, and that seems to be nice. So it hasn't gone away, but I'd say we're probably um, gearing down to um, OT months and, and maybe, you know, six chats a year beyond that. Well, that's good. And it's a, it's a really good platform for people to connect with. I think whether they're OT students or even prospective students, if they're new grads or, or mid range career people, or if they've been around for a while, like we have, and you know, it's always new things to learn and hear about and, and information and support to exchange in platforms like that. So I hope you all keep doing it um, for a while longer, at least until you're um, maybe can pass the torch to somebody else or something else comes along. Um, well, thank you, Allison, so much for being a guest on the show. It was great to connect in person. I think you and I have crossed paths in the uh, Twitter sphere many times um, and probably at AOTA conferences, too, and just didn't realize. But um, I've enjoyed talking to you and appreciate you sharing your expertise and enthusiasm. Thanks so much, Stephanie. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to read the show notes or find out how to access any of the resources discussed on the podcast, you can visit the website at www.ontheair.us. I'd also like to ask you to share with others about the podcast to help us connect with even more people interested in teaching and learning about occupational therapy and OT-related topics. Thanks again, and I look forward to engaging on future episodes.